0: You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks... The door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And you may be seated, and as you are seated, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church, and we bless uh, the children as they go uh, with Miss Marla and Miss Mara for what the Lord has in store for them, and we look with expectation to what the Lord would have in store for us today as we look into his word. Thank you to the worship team for leading us in Uh, Praise and worship through Psalm this morning. Uh, We continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Counterculture, uh, looking today at some kingdom interactions here um, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Uh, You may have heard and you may have experienced uh, that our culture is going through what many have termed an epidemic of loneliness, Something that was already developing people feeling alone, but was accelerated during the pandemic. And so an article was recently written by an author, Ali Volpe, entitled How Much Social Interaction Do You Actually Need in Thinking About This Whole Concept of the Epidemic of Loneliness? And she shared some of those negative consequences that have come from loneliness, such as cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, even anxiety. And citing a 2022 study from a Harvard student that espoused the way out, and the way out was to have relationship, and not just relationship with people, but relational diversity. So much so that this author of this Harvard study, called it having a social portfolio. So instead of just having a few interactions with a few people, of having a, having interactions with a diverse group of people, like a financial person would have a diverse uh, financial portfolio, we as individuals, in order to not live in an epidemic of loneliness, would have a diverse social portfolio. So some of those groups that you may have in this diverse social portfolio would be maybe your spouse as one, your kids as another, or grandkids as another, your coworkers that you interact with on a daily basis, friends that are outside of that. Maybe if your parents are still living, relationship and interactions with your parents, and even strangers. And so they found that the more diverse your relationships were, the more diverse your conversations were with people in these various social groups, the healthier you were and the less lonely you became. It's an interesting concept. I share it. You may wonder, where in the world is he going with this? But I share it because I believe that Jesus understood this. Jesus understood that we are going to have a diverse social portfolio if we are really going to be people who live for his kingdom. That we can't live with just a few people in our little tight-knit group. That kingdom people have diverse relationships, have relationships with many different kinds of people, many different groups of people, if we are going to be following him as kingdom people on a kingdom mission. And so, if we're going to have diverse relationships, it's going to mean that we are going to have interactions that are going to be unique and different with each each of those kingdom relationship groups. All of these, if they are kingdom-oriented, will be counter-cultural. And so, this morning, we want to look at four different kingdom interactions with four different groups of people that Jesus highlights in this passage of Scripture this morning to help us to see how we engage in a kingdom-oriented, countercultural way with these various groups of people. So let's look at these. The first interaction is interactions with believers who are in the wrong. Interactions with believers... Who are in the wrong? It's interesting. Commentator D. A. Carson, in his commentary on the Book of John, all the way back in the early '90s, made an astute um, observation that I believe still carries and is probably carrying more and more. That in the 1990s and earlier, the most known Bible verse was John 3:16. All you had to do was watch a football game, and you saw every time somebody would kick the extra point after a team scored a touchdown, what banner went up? The banner was John 3.16. There was this big awareness. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, even if you were not a Christian, even if you were not a church person, there would at least be familiarity. If someone said, what's a Bible verse? You would say, John 3:16. No idea what that means, but John 3:16. Today, and from the 90s to today, and I think you could see this, the most familiar verse is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, it's interesting, though, that In that quoting and in that knowing of do not judge or you too will be judged is also a judgment being done, which is interesting in and of itself because you hear, don't judge, don't judge. The question is, in these relationships, how do we follow this idea of judgment in a countercultural way? It begins by understanding that Jesus is talking about it in the context of Christians. Do not judge, he says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus encourages us and teaches us in these interactions with believers in the wrong to guard against judgment. To guard against judgment. He's saying, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now we've got to step back for a moment. Because we need to understand that Jesus is not saying judgment in the sense of right and wrong. He spent the early part of the Sermon on the Mount calling out hypocrisy with those who were the religious leaders who were not doing it right. Clearly, he was judging in the sense of declaring right and wrong. In a couple weeks when we finish the Sermon on the Mount, he judges and encourages us to be aware of The false teachers, you will know the false teachers by their fruit, what they teach. And so judgment is not a value statement kind of thing, saying this is right, uh, that, that Jesus is saying don't go around and say what is right and what is wrong. What he is saying is having judgment in the sense of being critical of others and having a mean spiritedness about it. It's standing in the place of God and declaring and acting as the final authority. So when Jesus is talking about do not judge, he's saying do not be critical of others. Do not be mean-spirited of others. Do not stand in the place of God and declare once and for all that this person is wrong. There is an attitude behind it, not a value statement. It is an attitude behind it. Jesus says in verse 2 that the measure and the, the way that we do it, that is what will be used against us. The standard or the measure that we use will be the one that is used against us. That's kind of humbling, isn't it? Certainly, This is the way that God will view us. Anytime someone declares that this is wrong, what you are doing, you are now espousing and saying, I understand that this is wrong. So now I acknowledge God's standard of right and wrong. And now I am acknowledging my need to be held accountable to it. So anytime I declare something to be wrong, I am now acknowledging that that is wrong for me also. So God will judge me based off of that. But I believe that there is a bigger idea with this too. And that is, if we are going to talk about judgment in the sense of mean spiritedness, in the mean of criticalness, if I am critical towards others, most likely they're going to be critical of me. If I'm mean spirited of others, most likely they're going to be mean spirited back to me. A story is told by H.A. Ironsides of an individual by the name of Bishop Potter. And Bishop Potter was sailing for Europe on a transatlantic ocean liner. And once he was on board, he found that there was another passenger that he was going to be sharing a cabin with for this voyage. And after seeing this man, he went to the purser, the man in those days on those ocean liners who was in charge of holding valuables. He went to the purser of of the ship, and he said, Sir, I don't usually afford myself of this privilege but I'm going to give you my watch and other valuables because I have been to my cabin and I have seen the other person who is with me and I'm not very sure that they are a trustworthy person will you guard these for me in the ship safe the man the purser said why certainly bishop I will do that I would be happy to do that and it's okay, don't worry about the fact that you are, don't normally do this, because just a little bit ago, the man who was, share, who was sharing your cabin came to me and gave me his valuables with the very same reason that he did not think that you were trustworthy. Very interesting. <laughs> that this man, who is a Christian, made a value judgment, a critical value judgment against a person, and with that same standard that very man used it against him. I think it illustrates for us this reality, that when we say what is right and what is wrong, the way we go about it is the way that it will be returned to us often. And so if we are critical, if we are mean-spirited, that will be often the way that people treat us. Guard against the sense of judgment so that we are not mean-spirited and critical. Guard against also hypocrisy. Guard against hypocrisy. Verses 3 to 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. When there is judgmental attitude, hypocrisy easily sets in. Jesus has this almost laughable metaphor, laughable example of a person who has a plank, a a large splinter. Different uh, translations will use different words. So imagine for us just a person who is working with wood and there is a large splinter that becomes lodged in their eye. And they are worried more about the person who is working that has a small, tiny little speck of sawdust in their eye. We would say, that's ridiculous. How could a person who has a splinter stuck in their eye possibly be in a position to look at another person who has the smallest little speck of sawdust in their eye? Jesus is saying this, when when we are focused on others and not ourselves we find ourselves in a place of hypocrisy. Friends, I have found in my own life, and I think I found it to be true in others, that we are much quicker to look at the problems in other people before we look at the problems in our own lives. Sometimes it's because the problem that I see in that, person's, uh, in that person's life is very similar to the problem in my life. And so I can see that, and I, it, it makes sense to me because I see their issue because it's familiar to me. It's my issue too. And so I am very quick to look at the issue that's in your life even though it's in my life, and I am quick to try to help you. Here's what Jesus says, if you do that, you're a hypocrite. Other times, I think we do it because it's much easier to point out the sin in others than it is to really have to deal with the sin in my own life. I would much rather point fingers at everyone else. I would much rather call out the wrongs in everyone else's life than to actually turn my examination upon myself and to look at my own life and to deal with my own life. It's much easier to look at others and not at myself. So here's what I believe Jesus is saying. We avoid hypocrisy by spending the majority of our time looking at our own life in a very small amount of time looking at the lives of others. And only when we know I've dealt with this issue and there is nothing in my life before the Lord, I can honestly say I've done deep reflection. I've allowed the Spirit to examine me. I've asked the Lord to search me and try me, see if there is any wicked way in my life before I go to help another. Lord, is there anything offensive to me or to you in me? I believe that there would be much less time to look at the lives of others, if we spent time looking at our own lives. Guard against judgment, guard against hypocrisy, but the whole purpose that Jesus has, he doesn't say, don't do this. He doesn't say, don't take the speck out. He doesn't say, don't bring a sense of saying what is right or wrong in another person's life. He says, He doesn't tell us not to do that. He tells us to make sure we don't do it in an angry, critical way. He says to make sure that our eyes are clear, our lives are clear before we help others because this is the big purpose that Jesus has in it. Our purpose should not be to criticize others. Our purpose should be to give help to others. Jesus' focus is If there is a person in our lives that does have a speck in their lives that is not pleasing to the Lord, it should be our desire to help them. It should be our desire that they would not have that in their lives. But there's work that needs to be done first. We have to watch our attitude and we have to deal with our own stuff first. We are to help other believers. We are to call out right and wrong, but we are to do it in a way that is not critical, judgmental, and we must be certain that we have dealt with the issues of our lives before we start meddling and helping others. I have a short video that's on there that I want you to take a moment to watch. It's of college runners at the end of a race. And I believe it captures for us a picture of what it looks like as we run the race of faith, one with another, of helping one another out. Let's watch this. Till taking a toll on a couple runners trying to finish those final 20 yards. Wow. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> What, what a tremendous show of sportsmanship as you've got an athlete who can't quite make it and they've got a team, a, a girl from another team trying to help her to the finish line so she can finish the race. That's what, now that's another what the sport is well. all about. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is just incredible. The sportsmanship phenomenal as you see those final yards there. As you see, Clemson and Louisville helping the Boston College runner. That's Tate and Pease. And the Boston College runner can't even lift her Keep legs going. right now. She'll try to cross the finish line. What a shot right here at Wakeman Soccer Park and Kerry. But you sacrifice your own position wow. to help another athlete finish what they started, and that, that's a true sports machine. Isn't that a powerful picture? Friends, I would just ask us to consider this. Is that how we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, deal with those who have fallen down? Do we stop and do we sacrifice our own well-being and our own position after doing the work of making sure that I've cleared my own vision to help others along? Or do we run by and yell and criticize and condemn those who are on the ground. Friends, too often I believe the church is known for running by and yelling as we run by and criticizing as we run by instead of stopping and doing the work to clear our own vision and to get down and to help others as we pursue Jesus together. Our kingdom interactions with one another especially those believers who are in the wrong, should be full of grace, should be full of kindness and compassion so that we might help one another move forward in our journey with Jesus. Interactions. Interactions help one another, help one another in our interactions with those believers who are in the wrong. Second kingdom interaction Is with oppositional unbelievers. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is a pretty intense statement that Jesus makes. But it begins with us understanding and being convinced of the worth of the good news, the worth of the gospel. Jesus probably has in mind here food that is sacrificed to God through worship that is then going to be consumed in a way that is honoring to the Lord. Also, he probably has in mind a parable that he would have told in Matthew chapter 13 that we'll get to eventually, the pearl of great price, which is a, a parable that talks about the great worth of the gospel, the great worth of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has in mind extremely valuable things. He has in mind the worth of the gospel. He has in mind the worth of the kingdom of God, that there is a kingdom that is not of this world, that lasts forever. And in that kingdom, as we sang this morning, we have a good and gracious king. (laughs) We have a king who loves us. We have a king who cares for us. We have a king who... Who protects us? We have a king who provides for us. We have a king in this kingdom who does what is right and just and fair. And he is good and he is worthy to be served. And he has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the ultimate demonstration of his love and his provision and his care and his goodness and his compassion so that we would not be separated from him, but that we would be brought into that kingdom, that by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, all those who would say yes to the king, who would turn from the ways of the kingdoms of this earth and the ways of our own lives and coming to him in faith and in repentance are brought into that kingdom. It's the best news ever for this life and for the next. And so it begins with being convinced of the worth of this good news. It, becomes, it, it comes from being convinced of the worth of the kingdom of God, which then leads us to be aware of those who are opposed to it. These really are shocking words that Jesus would use. Dogs. Pigs. It, it captures the depth of opposition. Opposition. And sinfulness, almost an animal-like nature of people who are opposed to the gospel. Of people who are opposed to the kingdom of God. Of people who are opposed to the king of the kingdom, Jesus. And I would believe, and I think most commentators believe, that this group of people is pretty small. We talk sometimes about people of peace, people that are unbelievers who don't know Jesus yet, but who seem to have an openness to him, who seem to have a spiritual hunger and a spiritual desire and are really searching and seeking. They may not be at a point yet where they say yes to Jesus and say, yes, he is going to be my king and I want to be a part of his kingdom, but they are always around you they seem to be open they're asking questions they may be even reading the bible trying to figure out who is this jesus and what is he all about they're people of peace that god is at work in but they have not yet come to christ they are in the if we're going to categorize they're unbelievers but they're certainly not dogs and they're certainly not pigs and there are those people that just are kind of focused on themselves they're focused on the things of this world. They're focused on their job and their kids, and they're focused on the money, Then and they're focused on vacations and entertainment and all these kinds of things. And they're just kind of living life and living for the place of being, eat, drink, be merry. They're kind of just, that's what life is about for them. You may talk to them about the gospel, and they may say, yeah, that's good, I don't know. I'm just not, I kind of like the life that I have right now. I'm not real interested in church. I'm not real interested in spiritual things. I'm not real interested in that, but they're not gonna fight you on it. They're just like, you know what, that's good for you, but this is not where I'm at. Those are not the dogs and the pigs. But there are those people who are just angry and oppositional and almost pugilistic fighting against the things of God. And they want to debate you all the time. They want to prove that you're wrong. They want to run you down. They disrespect you. They talk negatively. They talk even angrily and negatively and tearing down of Jesus and the gospel. They don't want anything to do And they make it known. They're in your face with it. Anytime you share it, they may make fun of it. They may try to disparage the good news. These would be the people who are most likely in that dogs and pigs. They're the people who don't want to be a Christian, and they are going to fight you on it so that you are going to do everything you can to realize, stay away from me. Friends, share the good news with the people of peace. Share the good news with those who are kind of there, but not real interested. Share as you have opportunity. But what Jesus is saying is watch out for those who are going to ridicule and stamp down and call blasphemy against the name of God. Those are the people that we walk away from. Those are the people that we don't share because it's too good to have it disparaged. The good news is too good to have it run down. Jesus said that when you go into a town, if there are people like that, as he sent out his disciples, shake the dust off of your feet and move on to the next place. Friends, I would argue this that few are in this camp. But we need to be very careful and the Spirit of God needs to make clear who these people are. See, the countercultural piece to this is that many, when somebody gets in your face about it, we want to rise up and get back in their face. We want to prove that we're right. We want to prove that the gospel is that good. And so we get into these kind of headlong confrontations when, in the end, I think it's just because we want to be right. It's not about defending the faith, it's about being right. Friends, the countercultural way especially in our culture that is polarized and divisive and in those places where you have this group and this group and what do they do? They meet on the streets and they're yelling at each other and nobody's listening. They're just arguing. They're just running each other down. They're just negative talking, all these things. The countercultural thing is when people oppose the gospel in such a way, we shake the dust off our feet. We don't throw our food to the dogs. We don't put our pearls before the feet of the pigs and we walk away stay in relationship maybe but sharing the good news we walk away when there are oppositional unbelievers being aware that those are few and far between we be we put ourselves in the place to be willing to move on from them interaction number 3 is with our father in prayer This is countercultural because God as Father who invites us into his presence is a radical idea. For many religions, God is angry, God is distant, God has to be pleased in order for us to be heard. But this is the picture of a God who invites us to pray with perseverance, who reveals himself to us as Father, Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In verse 7, ask, seek, knock. These are levels of increased perseverance. Imagine a little child looking for their parents. They have a need, and so they call out, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad. But there's no answer. So they could continue asking over and over, but perseverance would lead them to now begin to go and seek. My mom or my dad have not come to me as I've asked for them. I am going to now go and seek. I'm going to look for them. Mom, dad, where are you at? Mom, dad, seeking, looking, expecting to find their parents somewhere in the house, but not sure where. And as they seek, as they continue to call, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad. Come into the place as they seek, where the door to the bedroom is closed. Mom, Dad. Knock, knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Are you in there? Are you in there? Till the mother or the father says, Yes, come on in. See, this is the level that our Father invites us into. He invites us into perseverance. He invites us into asking. And when immediately we do not hear, seeking, where are you at, Father? What are you up to? Knocking on the door. Levels of increased perseverance. All the while praying, believing that he answers. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus promises that our Father in heaven will respond to our asking, to our seeking, to to our knocking. The question is, do we believe this? Do we believe that he answers? Do we believe that he hears us? Do we believe that he wants us To find him. Do we believe that he opens the door to relationship? Do we believe it? In this promise we must always remember that it is according to the perfect will of God. It is according to the fact that we may not always get what we need. Or what what we think we need. But believing that our God hears us and he does answer And when we may not get what we think we need, we pray trusting his goodness. We pray trusting his goodness. Verses 9 through 11, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask you? Jesus compares Our good father with earthly fathers like me. Who are not always good. Who have measures of sin. Who sometimes get tired and frustrated and self-centered. Who sometimes have those levels of evil and sinfulness that will come out of Fathers like me. But if I, even with those shortcomings, even with those sinful inclinations and self-centeredness and selfishness, even if I can give good gifts to my children, then Jesus says, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? If a son asks for bread... Am I going to give a rock? No. And if my son asks me for a fish, am I going to give him a snake? No. If that's how I treat my children, how much more will our Heavenly Father treat each of us? Our Father is good. He gives us good gifts. And even if it's not what we think we need, even if He doesn't answer the way we think It should be, we can trust that he is so exceedingly good that what he gives and the way that he gives it and the timing that he gives it will be good because it's his nature. He is, as we sang, our good and gracious king. He's our good and gracious father. It's countercultural for many to think of God this way. To think of God as a good, heavenly father. Some have not had good fathers. Some have had good fathers, but to think even of their earthly fathers who don't always do it perfectly, to think of a father who does it perfectly always. This is the invitation, the interaction that our father welcomes us into. An intimate, faith-filled, persevering, The last interaction is really a summation in a a general relationship interaction. And that is interactions with everyone. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The principle is this, treat everyone how you want to be treated. Treat everyone how you want to be treated this has been called the golden rule and was really radical in Jesus's day. Because in Jesus's day, the best option that any other teacher had was this. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. If you don't want people to cheat you, then don't cheat them. If you don't want people to talk negatively about you, then don't talk negatively about others. But Jesus says, it's not just on the negative side. It's on the positive side. If you want people to be honest, you, you be honest with them. Speak well of people because you want others to speak well of you. Be gracious with others because you want them to be gracious with you. Forgive others quickly because you would want them to forgive you. The positive, do to others, treat them the way you would want them to treat you. The golden rule. This summarizes, Jesus says, the law and the prophets. So here's the big ending principle that wraps up this whole section. When you have relationships with others, do you want others to help you and not judge, condemn you? I think all of us would say, yeah. If I'm in an error, if I'm in sin, I would want someone to come along and pick me up, not condemn me. Someone who would have their life in a place, though not perfect, but have seeking to be in a place right with the Lord so that they would be able to help me through, not cut me down. So I want to be in that place. I want to be a person who helps, not judged. If there was a person of another opinion whether it's religious or something other would you want them to come and to continue to force it down your throat would you want someone to argue you into their point of view I don't think many of us would want that so the place of our own position becomes if there are people who are oppositional to the things of God I want to honor them and I want to shake the dust off of my feet and go Do I want my kids to come to me in confidence? Then I want to go to my father in confidence. In everything that we do, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you've been in church, this is probably one of those that you've heard a long, long time. But may we be people who actually live this, who live it in our interactions with one another. As we would close, I would simply ask us, Lord, what do my interactions with the social portfolio of my life look like in relation to your kingdom? What does it look like with others in the body of Christ who are in the wrong? What does it look like? What are my, in, what are my interactions like with those who are oppositional to the gospel. What is my interaction like with you, Abba Father? What are my interactions like with everyone in general? The Lord is much better at bringing these things home often than I am. All the time. So as the worship team would come, I just want to give us a few moments to be in his presence, to listen to what the Spirit of God would say. And then we'll sing this closing song together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we desire to be like Jesus. be free to speak in these moments, to open our eyes to these interactions. To even be able to see in these interactions where might there be a plank or a splinter in my eye that is keeping me from interacting with others in a way that is counter-cultural but very much in line with your kingdom. Abba, Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would seal it to our hearts, that what you say, that you would give us grace to respond, that we would build our lives upon you and upon your ways, the ways of your kingdom, however different they are than the ways that we would respond or the ways our world responds, that we would respond the way you, our Heavenly Father, respond. We seek you for these things, and we build our lives on you. In Jesus' name, amen.